Welcome to a Global Citizen Life podcast. Today on the show, we have Rebecca Leppard. Rebecca is a neurodivergent entrepreneur who transitioned from a high-powered corner office at a five-star hotel to the fast-paced and dynamic world of tech and consulting. She founded Upgrading Women, a media company and marketing agency helping women founders go to market. She's the first Indonesian immigrant in the UK that has been that has been invited as a thought leader in Southampton City Council, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ironhack, and various start startup scenes in England and Europe. Her dedication in unlocking the voices of the unrepresented workforce stems from her lived experience. Rebecca is also committed to making a tangible impact in her community and has made a pledge to take on one promo bono client for every paying client. Well, welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you. And I want to say hello in 200 different languages for your global listeners. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. And so your journey has um, changed quite a bit from start from your start to to where you are now. So tell us a, a little bit about that journey and and how it came about for you. Yes. So I am an Indonesian born and bred. I was born in the capital Jakarta and never left until um, in university. I finally got my passport. And I visited Singapore. That was my first overseas travel with, um, and it was um, in university, it's a class trip. Okay. Uh, so it was like visiting and I went to journalism school. So I went to Singapore to check out their broadcasting studio, their radio um, stations, etc. And then I moved. Um, so I started my career in Jakarta and then I moved to Bali. Uh, thinking that that would be my stepping stone to going global, go international. And I went there and my career took off. I joined a PR firm and they were about to make me partner until one day in a business trip, I met with my husband who got a job in Jakarta. So I was back to square one. Oh no. I was like, what? I was so close to going international. Um, because in Bali, you see all sorts of expats because it's a, it's a hospitality island. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of chefs from all cuisines around the world. There's Italian chef, there's French chef, Japanese chef, and all the general managers of hotels and um, whatnot. So I thought, oh, okay, this is this is it. But then I married a Brit, but he's based in Jakarta. <laughs> okay. So I was back to square one. I was feeling so sad. Um, but then I thought, you know what? Um, I will still shine in an international environment anyway. So I assert myself working in international companies and at the time I worked for the five-star hotels as a German brand so again I was working with German chefs German general managers um, so my day-to-day -day life 
I actually, now that I think about it, I barely, at that time, I barely speak my mother tongue because I speak English with my husband and with my coworkers. And I felt like then um, fish out of water. Like I, mm -hmm. like I almost, like there's this, um, a South African expat in Jakarta that, that said to me, Rebecca, you are like an honorary expat. And then... <laughs> Because we were talking and da da da, like, oh, these locals are this and that. And I said, I'm a local. No, you're an honorary expat. But then it dawned on me, yeah, I'm an honorary expat in that I think and behave and operate in a good way, like professionals, expat in the definition of you're a professional, you're an expert in your field, you've been. Uh, you've been sent from away from your home country to help the team in the different country, normally in an emerging market, to help them set up, right? And for that, you're being given a nice expat package, right? Your house is covered, even down to the school of your kids are covered and this is international school which caused an arm and a leg and I felt again so bad about myself that I perform as good as if not better than you because I speak both languages the international and the local language but I'm paid the local wage how unfair and again and, and I remember I came home to my expatriate husband saying like oi between you and me, you know that I'm good at what I do. But why <laughs> am I not being paid as handsomely as you? It's not fair. So years and years later, when the pandemic happened, um, he got his um, kind of karma, quote unquote, for being an expat. So he was being, he was the first one to be let go because he was the expat. Right. And then um, I was thinking, okay, you're, you're being let go because of the pandemic. And we have at this point now three British children. Um, so I'm the only Indonesian left. So let's emigrate or for their case, let's go back home. Um, so we went, so we landed in London Heathrow, 1st of June, 2020, right in the eye of the pandemic. Wow. Exactly. Flights were shut down. The service mm -hmm. became, the three a day flight became three a week flight at the time. So we flew using Qatar Airways, who still fly at the time, thank God. And the flight, it was so empty. It was so creepy, Sally. It's like in the movies, like the doomsday movies. And Not were, like, oh, it's almost like a private jet. No, because everyone wearing yeah, a because mask. The, the mask, right? right? Yeah. The mask, but the crew, the cabin crew wearing the whole PPE. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that, okay, now it went from not like a private jet to no, totally creepy. No, it's <laughs> like, it's like, uh, we are being transferred to a secure bunker or something. 
along those. Wow, I didn't realize that the the crew was ever wearing full PPE because oh I God. wasn't really well, flying much of that. Well, you know? Um, right, but wow. Yeah, that's a different feeling than when you're on the plane. Exactly. It's like a, it's like a flying uh, emergency room. <laughs> oh, <Right>. my. <laughs> Um, but but the food was still nice. So, <laughs> oh, that's good. And, yeah. So the flight was. Uh, this is a Boeing, a massive flight, mm -hmm. um, and it was only twenty twenty five percent occupancy. So each okay. of us, we're a family of five. Each of us have our own row, so we can just like because <laughs> <laughs> that would be a long flight. It it had to be a long flight, so we had to fly from Jakarta to Doha. To change, mm -hmm. uh, to change plane and then to Heathrow, London. In Doha, it was like madness because everyone was at a stage of exodus. Like, where am I going? Am I going to be safe here? Am I going to be safe there? Am I safe here in the airport even, right? Am I? Right, right. Can you imagine? Because nobody knew. We had no idea what was going on. I mean, the media was making it like the world is going to end and we are all going to die. Yes, exactly. And I had with me a seven-month-old baby who was still nursing. So I'm even like, is it safe for me to breastfeed her out in the open air? Right? Right. And, and at that point, if you remember, we didn't even know. Should it be the sick or should it be the healthy one who wear mask? Remember? Right. Mm -hmm. And what type of mask should we be bearing? Like N95, whatever. And when we don't have the stock and oh, everyone's going crazy. So I just want to, to the listeners to imagine the state of mind. So the cortisol level, the adrenaline was just, I'm just awash with those. And when we landed here, we had to just uh, quarantine. We didn't actually have to quarantine because, again, the world leaders were still scrambling to write an SOP what to do, right? And they never completely agreed. Exactly. <laughs> different countries have different rules. And I'm like, right. there's one yeah. virus. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't act differently in different countries. Yeah. They don't translate differently. It's the same. <laughs> yeah. So, and then we just use our common sense because we arrived at my father-in-law's um, house. Yeah. He was 80 and yeah. we don't, you know, we didn't want to um uh, make him sick so we right. transferred him to my sister's my sister-in-law's house and he quarantined he made a you know he made his own bubble there and our okay. family of five occupied his room so we didn't even cross path so he was already relocated before we landed it's honestly this is crazy stuff, crazy times. And I mean, lo looking back, it was great, but it was like all the things because nobody knew. And it was just sheer fear and panic that was being pumped out by the media to make everybody scared. Exactly. And this is just to also show that if you can imagine the level of project management that we had to really then, you have to prepare, you get 
my husband got two days notice of his layoff. Wow. I got one week notice from British embassy saying, go ahead, you can go home now. Um, I, and you had a family to pack up in that time and get everything done and book a flight. And I have, do, to, sell, and do I have to sell everything as well. Wow. Right? And sell everything during a pandemic. I'm sure that was easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, simple. Just sell it all. Oh, my God. Sell the, the house, the car, the everything. And then, um, and I couldn't even say proper goodbye to my family. Right. Right. We said goodbyes, mm -hmm. our goodbyes over Zoom in a massive, you know, like you can imagine an Asian family. It's like my aunt, my uncle, my cousins, my, you know. Brutal. Yeah. It it's... is. And I mean, I praise God that I didn't lose um, any immediate family member. I did lose mm -hmm. a, a good, a few good friends, but I didn't lose um, my family to COVID, but I essentially, I lose my home. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then so when I got here, I was on a tourist visa, so I was not allowed to work. Okay. And the home office, which is like in the U.S., it would be like the State Department. Mm -hmm. So they're closed. They're on lockdown, right? They're not issuing any. And we don't know for how long at this point in time, because this is all just happening. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, up in the air. So I had to wait all in all from the day I landed until the day I got my visa, uh, the correct visa was 13 mm. months. So wow. it was 13 months without an income from either of us. My, because the whole point, my my husband back is back home is because he was laid off. Right. Um, and I did have a job, by the way. But because of the stress and the distance and the breastfeeding and everything else, I was so exhausted that I'm like, I think I have to save my life first before saving my livelihood. Yes. Right? You cannot mm -hmm. have a job anyway when you're dead. No, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. <laughs> exactly. No one is hiring in ghost town. So no. So yeah, so so I had to resign. My husband was laid off and we had no security as in no one in, in the government saying, right, you just have to wait three more months or three more years. No one, no one is telling us anything. The government is like, well, just sit tight. Um, and I'm like, oh my God. So, so the entire time we were just living um a really frugal lifestyle mm -hmm. to a point this is the first time we were on food stamp the equivalent of food stamp okay and remember i had a five star life before that mm. be on food stamp i again thank god i never had such a big ego that i'm like my family's fed we have roof over our heads I'm fine. I don't need to flex on Instagram that I have my Birkin bag or anything. So, mm -hmm. yes. But then as soon as I got my visa, I started applying for jobs. Another hurdle. Yeah. 
because everyone who was laid off in the pandemic clamoring for jobs right I was in that market and it's so crazy that to a point that I finally at the latest stage to my going back to the five-star hotel um, life so there's this particular hotel in central London I was there facing my future boss only for him to say I don't think you're cut out for this because you have to commute for hours every day and you have three small children. And I thought, shouldn't that be my call? Shouldn't that be my decision and my calculation? And that left me such a bitter um, aftertaste that I was like, okay, if no one believes in me, who is a mother, if they don't believe in me because I'm a mother, I'm going to show them that mothers are the best project manager. Mothers are the most creative. We can cut budgets like no other. <laughs> we are resourceful. Mm-hmm. We can operate basically with minimum sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm going to build my own company and I will hire exclusively women. And I did this year. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. So three years after my crash landing in London Heathrow, (laughs) I now own my own limited company. I own it a hundred percent. I don't have any, capitalist investors um I bootstrap it because I really want to show it to people that you know what I can we can if you don't believe in me I believe in me and I will Mm. make the market believe in me enough that they want to hire me and my company so that is the journey and now I'm in a journey of hiring even more underdogs and that's fantastic yeah and now we have a team of 15 that's amazing isn't it interesting how sometimes in the moment when a door kind of closes on us Mm -hmm. and in your case for for somebody to say how how dare you say what is right for me Uh, that's my job what's right for me but in a way he was right if, if we think like now looking back, we can, but at the time, and you know, we, we get angry and we're like, no, and the door closes and you're probably upset because of yes. everything that was going on in the situation and needing a job and, and the frustration. But sometimes those things are the best thing that ever happens to us. We just don't know at the time. We don't know for a week, a month, or maybe a year no. that sometimes those no's are the best thing that could ever happen to us. Yes. And and that was not even the first or second nose. If you see the whole journey for me, uh, gotten a no when back when I was, you know, in, in my mid-20s, I could have gotten uh, another job. I, I could have said no to my boyfriend at the time to 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 marry him and go back to my hometown you know it felt like oh right yeah life would have been so different it would not even be what it is now 
who knows what it would be exactly and then if my husband didn't get laid off it's going to be different so so many so many disappointment so many rejection will Mm -hmm. lead you to the path that you're meant to be right 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 I think I I think it's true I and sometimes like when people say to me oh you're so lucky I say I'm not lucky like I was lucky to be born in Canada that Mm -hmm. is luck like I I I lucked out I was born in Canada that absolutely because I have no control over that that was just sheer luck yeah everything else I've done with my life is not luck Mm -hmm. I have designed my life the way it is the good and the bad that they were all my decisions, my <laughs> responsibility, the good and the bad. Um, and because I do travel a lot and I've lived in different places, they're like, oh, you're so lucky. And it's like, no, I designed it. I made my life. I made these decisions. I miss out on things. I don't see people often. I, you know, but those, those are my choices, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not luck other than, you know, if I, like I said, born in Canada, lucky. If I win the lottery, I'm lucky, but I'm never going to win because I rarely buy a ticket. So, you know, like you still have to I was about to say, even lottery, you got to buy the ticket first. You got to buy the ticket. So, you know, there's, and, and so it's, it's interesting that we, the decisions that sometimes are made for us, but also it's how we respond because then some people are like, well, it's not my fault. This you're right. There's a million things that happen. Pandemic is not anyone's fault. fault. But how we deal with it, what we do, the steps that we take, and sometimes it is one step forward, three steps back. Oh, three steps forward, one step back. Yeah. And and it's how we respond because we've all had stuff that we could be, oh, bad things happen. I'm going to stay at home and not go out in public ever again. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, these bad things happen. I'm just going to like curl up in a ball. Everybody's had bad things. Everybody has things to deal with. I mean, we've all lived through the pandemic. Those were some yeah. bad things. Very few people did well during them. There was a few. There's definitely, few. there was a few. And, and we there hate some, but <laughs> you know. But again, it's it's how we deal with things, and sometimes it is stepping through that fear. And so I'm sure for for you as well, moving to London, there was probably even if we take out the timing of the pandemic and everything, you know, there's there's some excitement to it. But there's also some fear. There's a little bit of like, how is it going to work? What am I going to do? What's, you know, and and everybody has that. I've lived in five different countries now and I'm preparing to probably move to another. And there's still a little bit of that. Which one's the right one? Is it going to work? What's the right place to go to? What, you, you know, know and, you'll never know. Yeah. And, and I know I'm going to, because I know that it's what I do because I've done it so many times. Um, and everything I, is, I think what I'm saying is you'll never know. When you're, when you're, you, when you hit a fork in the road, mm-hmm. you can never really know the parallel universe, what it right. would have been. Because right. then the factor will be different. If you move to London in 2020, it would be different if you move to London in 2023, right? Absolutely. So even mm-hmm. if it's the same um, location, different timing, whether you came to New York before 9-11 or after 9-11, it's different again, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. If you move to America during Trump's era or during Obama's era, and during Obama's era, which era? Was it 2008 crash? You know, there's so many factors. And I, I agree with you completely. It's all about our response. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I 
was so fabulous that I responded so positively. I want the listeners also to know that at the time, I was also clinically diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I did not come here with, oh, my my, my head held up high and like, I'm ready to conquer a new world. I never worked anywhere else outside of my home country. That's one. Two, I never lived that far away from my family. The furthest that I lived was an hour flight away. I always had support. Um, I had my best friends around me. And now I'm in a foreign country in which brown skin is not something that is <laughs> celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. Like how am I, I never had to deal with racism before. In my whole life, I only see racism on TV and I couldn't relate. And now mm -hmm. I'm living yeah. and breathing it. Mm -hmm. And and it's so, um, I mean, again, take away the pandemic, the whole thing is is a culture shock. Mm -hmm. and but add and add the pandemic to it. From what I recall, most people who lived in any Asian country were there was more racism towards that because of people's ignorance of oh the virus came from China so that means every yeah. person from any Asian country is to blame. Yeah. <laughs> And, exactly and so it, that is not even just dealing with it but it was a whole new level oh, of dealing yes. as well like a lot of asian people were hurt in the u.s um because of the asian hate crime and mm -hmm. so again even without the pandemic it's already a baggage right. and now with the pandemic it's a whole thing and, and just the lifestyle difference, like you said, going from both you and your husband working, doing good jobs, having yes. a very good lifestyle to mm -hmm. no income coming in, staying in your father-in-law's home while he's out of his home elsewhere and really budgeting yeah. what little there is. Um, and, and I mean, that alone is challenging to begin with, but it was great that through all that, you were still able to, over time, because we're not talking just overnight here, of course, no. but over time, do things, you know, get get back to feeling a, a bit better, adjusting, yeah. moving up and thinking, okay, now I can start to look for work. And then, oh, yeah. more doors are still closing as your, your, oh, yes. your own personal self is, is building back up. And mm -hmm. every door that closes, again, it's like a little hit to bump you back down. Yeah. But you you persevered. You still pushed through, knowing yes. that that personality traits that you have within you were still there. Yes, and it was deep, deep down inside, buried when I was still suffering from severe depression. And here's another kicker: for an Asian person, you will never hear any Asian person say or admit that they have depression or have symptoms of depression. So to even admit it to myself, to my family, and eventually to my doctor, 
that was another thing that, oh yeah, you're lucky. You live in the country where there's healthcare. Yeah, but if I didn't get over the stigma of admitting that I need help, I wouldn't have gotten help. Right. Right? So as a Canadian, you would know you have free health care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still, some people don't use it. Some exactly. people don't access it. Some people are just, you know, no, I'll be fine. Or, well, yeah. I'm just, you know, it's, it's I'm used to feeling this way. It's just yeah. life is sucks. And it's life the way sucks. it is. Yes, life sucks. And that's the way it is. It's it's. I have to say, that's a very English <laughs> way of seeing things. Now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, actually. Um, but yeah, but then I was like, you know what? There's help available. Yeah. I don't even have to pay for it. All I need to do is to admit that I need help. Mm-hmm. And I know somebody out there listening would probably, if I can persuade one person listening to this go get help even if it's not something for free and if you can afford it go for it you can you can always earn back your money Hmm. but your time you can never buy back your peace if it costs you your peace it's more it's too expensive so if you can do something to help yourself either therapy, medication, community, whatever it is, get help. And th- those things are really important. And there's been a lot of scientific studies about meditation and really community. It's, you know, people spend money on things to try to make themselves happy. And we realize, you know, things don't make us happy. It's it's community. It's It's what we do. It's giving back. It's helping others those are the things that that make us happy and so one thing too for the listeners to know is that there are challenges with moving abroad because you're you're leaving your community you're you're leaving them all you're leaving them behind now of course there's zoom and there's skype and it's great and and i use those things all the time it's fantastic but you need to build a new community because otherwise we can become very isolated, then we can become very sad, which could then lead into depression and things like that. And so obviously during your time, it was very hard because in, in the pandemic, um, but now- You cannot even people, shake hands. <laughs> yeah, no, you couldn't. You had to say six feet away. Yeah, the like, gone. hello, hello, this is me. No, not even me. This is half of my face, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Please be my friend. Can you imagine- um, yeah, and nobody wanted to meet anybody new then. No, like, plus somebody who looks like they're, they've been carrying virus <laughs> across the globe. <laughs> so, but I tell you what I did. Because I have kids. And so in England, kids don't have to wear masks until they're 11. Okay. Uh, in Asia, everyone, babies, newborn babies have to wear uh, at least a visor. So over here, and I take my kids to the park. And at the time, park could already open because when we arrive, the first few months when we arrive, you cannot even enter a park. Can you? Right. This police line everywhere. It's so scary. You can't, like my, my kid was like, 
there's a swing, there's a slide. Why can't we go in there? Um, no, you can't. Um, it was a, a crime scene almost. Right. Um, so eventually when, when parks were open, I went, I went there with a mask on, but my kids' faces are out in the open. So my kids are of mixed race. So they can kind of like pretend to be fully white. <laughs> so, and I kid you not, very often I was mistaken as the nanny. Tell you what. Mm. Exactly. So I didn't take offense. I mean, I, I just laugh it off. Um, and so when I go to parks, I brave myself to introduce myself to fellow moms. Okay. Because guess what? Who's the loneliest of the loneliest in the pandemic? It's the moms. Moms. Because we are cooped up in the house and we are normally the the carer right mm -hmm. and especially new moms they just gave birth they have hormones all over the place they hate everybody um they hate themselves because their body is changing and all they want to do is what misery love company so right so that was i was building my first tribe was mom's within you know walking distance from the park mm -hmm. so i again lucky quote unquote enough that i'm an extrovert so i just put myself out there like hi i'm rebecca i live on this road um my kid is this old how about you and so on and then some of them are like oh actually i live on the same street oh which number da, 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 da. and then shall we see each other again tomorrow same time in this park so that snowballs nice. into now we have you know now a three-year-old friendship mm -hmm. and and it's it's lovely and we we go to each other's birthday now and things like that but again that luck that i'm an extrovert if i didn't pair that with an actual networking effort, right. I've been so lonely. And that loneliness, mm -hmm. I tell you, you can Google it. You can find so many articles and studies that says loneliness is the next pandemic. Okay. When it increases our, our um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, I don't want to say cause of death, but it, it shortens our life. Oh, yeah, the, the people that are the most lonely have a shorter lifespan than people who are active, part of a community, have friends and, and are doing things. Yes, absolutely. We are an organism in an ecosystem. Like even our own body has germs, good and yes. bad, right? So we all need, <laughs> we have to live off each other. Mm -hmm. That is what I would also encourage because here's here's the thing as well that I notice. Every um every culture, when they move abroad, the first thing they want to find is fellow, their fellows, right? Fellow mm -hmm. Indonesians like me, or fellow Turkish, fellow Canadian, fellow, fellow. Mm -hmm. But while it's very, very well and good, I eventually so so. After the lockdown was uh, was was finished, which is like two years, I finally 
get to see my fellow Indonesian um, people. But before that, nothing. What I'm saying is go and find your closest physical neighbor first. Reach out to them first. Because again, when imagine if you need to isolate because COVID, the, the disease itself is still here. <laughs> it's not finished. It's never it's never going away. Exactly. I said that too. Like it's never gonna go away. Exactly. So let's say, knock on wood, next week you have to isolate. Who do you think that you can reach out for help? It's your next door neighbor. Mm. I know that in modern life, we never know our next door neighbor. Let's be honest. I was I was guilty of that. I, I used to live in high-rise apartment. I only know those who share the lift with me, like the, the elevator. Mm. Even that, it's more like just, hello, are you off to work? And then the elevator ride finished. And then that, that's, you never that's know what, what's going on in their life. If, if you don't see them the next day, you just assume that they're on holiday. But, you know, in the pandemic, we learn sadly, tragically, that so many bodies were not found until days after. Right. Because their neighbors, they don't, it's not about not caring, but they just no, don't they just didn't know. And especially because we were we were isolated, even even people that that live alone, right? Like knowing people in your building, as you said, if if something happens or if you know you you fall and you break your ankle or your wrist, who can either take you to the hospital or who can pick up a few groceries for you? Exactly. And if if you know them in your building, most times, like if somebody came to me because they broke their, sure, I'm going to the grocery store. I'll pick some extra stuff up. No problem. Yeah. Right. And that's that is that starting of building a of a community yes. to start with with where you live. Yes. And don't be afraid. This is so my husband, bless him, he lives in his own homeland. <laughs> I have more friends than him. <laughs> I know that a lot of people like, but I'm shy, but I'm whatever excuses. Okay. Mm. I tell you what, the same way that you eat your vegetables, not because you love it, but because your body needs it. <laughs> right. Get yourself out there. And if you're worried about how you look, how you would come across, if you're worried about your accent because you're a foreigner, gosh, a lot of people thought I'm American over here because I don't sound like them. A lot of people thought, thought I'm from the Philippines, whatever, because I... In my mind, I'm like, if they want to mistake in my race or whatever, I don't mind. I just not want to be alone in this world. And sometimes people like accents. There's a lot of nice sounding accents, even though we may not think ours is, yeah. but somebody else might might think it was like, I don't think I have an accent because I hear myself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in England and um, I was pet sitting one time. And uh, a gentleman was staying out in the, they had their, it wasn't a garage, but it was converted into an apartment anyway, a, an oh, outdoor yeah. building. And so he came in and I said, okay, well, here's this and this, and there's a grocery store down here. And I told him a few things and he asked me something and I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't live here. And he's like, well, that's obvious with that accent. <laughs> and I was like, 
okay. I know I don't sound British, but I just, I'm just kind of like, oh, I guess, yes, to you, I have an accent, but. Yeah, exactly. And it's so, and it's so good because it kind of forced people to acknowledge who you are mm-hmm. in, in the sense that I know that I, I talk about racism earlier. I want people to ask me where I'm from. I know that for many people, it's either annoying or uh, offensive to be to be asked, like, why do you assume that I'm not from here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but for there, me, there is a lot of that. There is right? there is yeah, a lot of that. That's lot right. Of that. But I can tell by now, and I'm sure you can too, if, if people ask you the question, the same sentence, because they genuinely are interested in you and genuinely want to learn more about you and it's not about them. So it's their Mm -hmm. like, they want to find, because here's the thing, as soon as I say, oh, I'm from Indonesia. Oh my God, I actually have been there. Back in the eighties, I went to honeymoon with my husband. Then it's a conversational starter. Right, because now you have a connection. You have something in common. Yes. And even that, literally two days ago, I was in a bus in London with this 87-year-old lady that says, oh my God, I followed my husband who was in the army. Uh, We went to Malaysia, Singapore, and Philippines, but we never got to Indonesia. There you go. Mm -hmm. But but that is a part of a conversation with someone in a bus. So right. the half hour journey in the bus felt like five minutes. Right. And it was, and, it, and it's nice for both people. She was probably very happy to be talking with you. And it was nice for you to be talking with her. Yeah. Imagine like, that at 87, most of your friends are dead. Yeah. Right. Right. And everybody else on the bus is on their phone. So you yes. just sit there and watch the street go by. Yeah. And the first thing I remember, the first thing she said to me, and I'm glad that she started the conversation because she assumed at the very least that I understood English. <laughs> so it's a compliment. <laughs> so she was looking away from the sun. She said, oh, it's so bright. And I didn't bring my sunglasses. And then we got to talking. I appreciate right. it. Like every conversation in England start with the weather, of course. <laughs> start. At least it's starting. Yes, at least. least it's a start. So you so you can start any conversation with anybody because even if you don't know, you can make a comment about the weather and then from that the response will make the conversation go. Yeah, and you can choose. You can choose not to continue the conversation if you're yeah. not in the mood, but if you are a new kid on the block, I highly suggest like, even though, oh, Rebecca, it's just a chit chat. It doesn't matter. You won't even exchange number with that person. No, but I tell you what, that five, 10 minutes conversation with the Uber driver, with the bus, mm-hmm. the tuk-tuk driver, what have you, that will give you an instant dopamine boost in your hormone. I'm mm-hmm. telling you Again. It's true. And, and one other thing is you also don't know the impact that it makes on the other person. Right. For them, it could be just like, oh, wow, that was nice. Or depending, it could be a five minute conversation. And later they're like, oh, hey, I had somebody sitting next to me on the bus or somebody who was in my car today that I drove to and they were from here. And we chatted about who, whatever it may have been. 
you know, can continue on through the day or it's just like, wow, that was somebody really nice that I, I gave a ride to. And yes. I had a really bad day and the last person was rude and mean. And the next person, oh, they were so nice and polite. Yes. And again, if you're from a, con- from a different country and you made a nice impression, guess what? That person will think that your entire country is as nice as you. Mm-hmm. Right? Because all Canadians are nice. They think all Canadians are nice. So I'm lucky. But (laughs) I always say to them, I'm like, they're like, oh, you're Canadian. You're so nice. I'm like, not all Canadians are nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. But let's be honest. Not all, but thank you. (laughs) That is so true, though. It's like, oh, they're so polite. They're Canadian. Yeah, it is. So Rebecca, so now you you've adjusted and we know, you know, we have to be making community and making friends and starting conversations. And so you've kind of now you've obviously integrated that within Mm -hmm. your work and what you do. So tell the listeners a little bit about what you do and how they could be in touch with you if they wanted to work with you. Sure. So my company is called Upgrading Women. The website is upgradingwomen.com. My email is Rebecca at UpgradingWomen.com. The reason why I call it Upgrading Women is because I noticed that not only that women were impacted more during the pandemic, but in general, we are so bad at promoting ourselves and our business. We would be so happy to say, oh, listen to Sally's podcast. But we would never say, but you know, I have my own podcast. If you want to listen to it, it's but it's not so good. You know, forget it. Just listen to Sally's podcast. You know, that is absolutely. Good. I know. I understand what? completely. Absolutely. Completely. But again, if we bake a cake or cookies, but then we saw, oh, Linda's cupcake is so good. But we never say, oh, you should try my cake because so and so. But I noticed that men easily it's like yo look at my garage look at my tech startup company it's the best thing ever bro like no it's not (laughs) but I want women more women to have quote-unquote the audacity of a young white man that we have the confidence that we have because guess what? We are probably better at, again, doing the job that we do. And because we self-critique so much, we learn more and we improve more. That's my hypothesis anyway. We can be better because we always feel like we're not good enough and we chase perfection all the time in any aspect of our lives. So because my uh, field is in communication and in marketing, I said, okay, I will help women in their business, especially tech companies, to help promote their stuff. Because, and this is again, a shitty statistics that there's out of the billion gazillion venture capital fund, women founder only get 1%, one teeny tiny percent. And here's another kicker. When women build something, they build it to solve problem in the community, in the families, in the gender. When we build something, we don't build it to fly ourselves to Mars. When we build things, 
we try to solve actual pain and feed the hungry. <laughs> so there you go. That is what I do. So I, um, whenever I see a female founder, I'm like, let's get you out there. Let's spread the gospel, sister, that your product will solve people's actual real life problems. That's fantastic. That's great. And so we will uh, put links in the show notes so anybody can uh, easily get in touch with you. And I just want to say thank you very much time for your time, Rebecca. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners got valuable information and just things that they can kind of look into themselves and, and kind of find find those strengths and and be aware of some of the things that, that, that we all go through and it is normal. Um, but there's, you know, when, when a door closes, it always means it's not the right door or maybe it's just not the right time and something else will come, will come along something that we're, we're meant to do and, or meant a place we're meant to be. Yes. Amen to that sister. Thank you for having me.